This episode is proudly sponsored by The Helix, a new innovation district located in New Brunswick, New Jersey, the heart of the Northeast Corridor. The Helix provides a critical ecosystem for innovation by offering a range of physical environments, a vibrant community of leading innovators, and a strategic central location on the Northeast Corridor. The Helix will uniquely mix workspaces, classrooms, laboratories, venues, and collaborative environments creating a dynamic community and setting for innovative minds. Universities, startups, Fortune 500 companies, entrepreneurs, researchers, and many others will all call the Helix home. Thus far, the Helix has assembled a community of innovative private and public organizations, such as Rutgers Health, the New Jersey Innovation Hub, RWJ Barnabas Health, Hackensack Meridian Health, universities from Ireland and Israel, and others. The Helix is where ideas will come to life. To learn more, visit helixnj.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From NJ.com and the Star Ledger, welcome to the Rutgers Rant, your one-stop podcast for the Scarlet Knights, with your hosts, Steve Politi and Rutgers insiders, Brian Fonseca and Pat Lenny. Let's start shopping. All right, hello everybody, welcome back to the Rant. Got ourselves a special show planned for you today. Todrick Hunt, the man, <laughs> the myth, the legend, our recruiting expert, our talent evaluator, Really, I would say the the groove of the NJM staff. What do you say, Brian? How would you how would you describe? What would you put? What word would you use here? The the personality, the the cool, the the cool of the NJM staff. What do we got? The smartest guy on staff. The smartest uh, guy I'll on take, staff. Hey, I'll take it all. Take, take it all. all take, any, take it all. How you doing? <laughs> I'm hanging in there, man. It's a pretty cloudy day today. You know, I yeah. uh, just picked up my son uh, from college, so he's back home. Drove over to Philly and. Grabbed him from the train station. So that's always great to have the kids all under one roof for the holidays. Nice. Excellent. Yes. And then it's a shame that the, the holidays correspond with the busiest time of the year for you. But uh, I guess there's nothing you can do, right? Wrapping gifts, taking uh, recruiting calls. I mean, what's what's the last, what is this week like for you? Right, right. Well, it took a few days off that, that I w- wasn't able to use, but that's okay. You know, this <laughs> is my time of the year. It was kind of weird this year, the way the whole, you know, recruiting calendar uh, sort of synced up um, with the portal opening and sort of them restricting the portal and having this, you know, short period of time where players can hop in and, and, and sort of move around. So it created the sort of frenzy that you don't always see at this time of year. But at the same time, now this is the new, you know, signing date. Like the early signing period is the actual signing period. So as you get later into December, you start seeing some movement. Um, you know, players land where they land. The transfer portal guys are on a different timeline, so they don't necessarily have to decide by signing day. Um, but they're always in the mix, right? Because everything they do sort of affects what the high school guys do, right? So, you know, these college guys w- w- will obviously prefer to take these older, mature guys who've actually done it at this level. Right. Right. So basically, if you don't jump on these opportunities, by the time the portal opens up, you open yourself up to the possibility of missing out on your scholarship, you know, having them pulled. I mean, it's a real uh, rugged arena out there right now. You know, the high school kids are losing. I mean, you got to be a really special player um, to really feel good, 
you know, about what you go, you got going on and just kind of moving forward down the line, how things may fall to have the, the confidence to know that at the end of this process, I mean, you see so many guys, they committed all year, you know, they get to signing day, the school drops them or they change, Jeez. change coaching yeah. status. They have nowhere to go. And, and now in this climate, if that happens to you, you see a lot of like even four star caliber guys sometimes, you know, trans the transfer portal have nowhere to go. You know, have a limited number of teams that are actually interested in their services. So it's a it's it's a different climate for sure. And we're reaching the point where it seems that there's more there's more players in the transfer portal than the, than there are on the teams. I mean, it's just crazy looking from the outside. I don't know where, uh, you know, don't want to or all these guys are going to go, but it it does get to the point now where you wonder about that, right? I mean, are these guys getting bad advice when they jump in there? Uh, I think a lot of them are, and, and I mean, you see that from from a number of the guys that that just kind of linger in there. You know, a lot of guys make mistakes. They jump into the portal. And at that point, the school that you're at no longer has to take you back, right, if nobody takes you. So, yeah, there's a lot of bad advice out there. Uh, You know, the the grass is always greener. Um, You don't see as much depth on these college teams, right, because the depth guys are the guys that want to hop into the portal. The guys that can actually play aren't getting uh, the majority of the playing time, right? Right. And other schools know that they can play already. You know, so how do you really build a team? You sure you can go in the portal and quickly uh, update your roster and improve it. But at the same time, you're losing guys. Uh, So it's a little bit of a a dance that these coaches have to play uh, nowadays. And also, I mean, the portal is being used, you know, to sort of help guys move along along as well. I mean, a lot of guys are involuntarily being asked to enter the portal. I mean, it's a tool (laughs) that coaches can use to improve their team. So, I mean, I mean, you see all kinds of stuff now. Wild stuff. All right, let's let's dive right in, Tyra. We got a bu- we got a bunch of topics to cover here, and I I want to go straight to this. And and you know how I feel about recruiting. I don't follow it on the granular level like you do. I just follow from thirty thousand feet. And the view I'm seeing, and this is a, a sense I get from the fan base too. I don't know if it's just message board noise or the people I talk to specifically, but there's a there's a sense that this is the recruiting's not going as well as people expected. If you look to the numbers, fifty fifth in the country and twenty four seven, eleventh in the Big Ten. Fonseca just told me only one or two teams in the Big Ten without a four-star or five-star recruit. Is that perception wrong? Am I missing something that's happening behind the scenes? There aren't a lot of big, sexy names on this list. I know um, the one young man, uh, Jasseray Peterson, he was actually a four-star at one point. Now he's a three-star recruit. The thing about this class that people do need to understand is is they, they sort of recruited off of philosophy, right? Chiano always says to his staff, they need to get bigger, stronger, faster and longer to be able to compete and hold up in this conference and not wear down so many big, strong, you know, fast, physical guys. And I think that's probably the the most undervalued trait when it comes to recruiting, right? Durability, right? Do these guys show up, you know, do they suit up and play games or do they, you know, break a fingernail and they're out for the whole week hanging out in the (laughs) training room, right? You got to be able to suit up and play and compete. And that's another reason why a lot of these coaches you know, like these guys from the transfer portal, these older experienced guys, because you have a sample size and you kind of know what you're getting and, and you're looking to plug and play. Uh, with some of these younger guys, it's kind of hard to see it coming, um, but they stuck to their motto. I think they filled some needs. Uh, they definitely recruited a lot of size, a lot of developmental guys that eventually um, could be guys. I think when you look at body types, uh, Rutgers is, is starting to look like a Big Ten team. I think the mm-hmm. offensive line is starting to look like an offensive line, at least physically. And now that you're hoping that the results on the field, you know, sort of start to pick up. But there are a bunch of young guys in the prior class that they brought in. About four of those guys, you know, the guys who were actually able to stay healthy are all sort of in position to 
you know, fill some prominent roles potentially next year moving forward. They're starting to show some different things. So definitely not a big sexy list. Um, but they definitely served or, or at least looked to fill some needs here. Bouncing off that, uh, we mentioned offensive line. They have five offensive linemen. Usually those kids don't play their first year. So, But another area that they bolstered, they got three wide receivers, Fama Ture, Jesse Ofuri, and uh, Dylan Braithwaite. Uh, that's obviously a position of need that they're losing a lot of older guys there and they need people to plug in. Do you anticipate any of those three guys being at a level where they can come in and contribute right away? Yeah, I think, I think Fama Ture is probably one of the most underrated players in the state you know and, and i know there are a lot of people around the state that feel like he could be like a top three to top five player in the state in all actuality the thing is that early 10 team has has four of those guys right they got four power five you know long athletic skill guys that play in the secondary play some receiver do a bunch of different things so you know that's just kind of how how it works out when you got so many guys adon schuler um, the highest ranked recruit in that group, a four-star headed to uh, Notre Dame. But there are a lot of people who like Fama bet better. I mean, he's got elite ball skills, a large catch radius. Um, I know there are a lot of people around the Hale Center that I've heard call him the baby Kenny Brick. You know, similar wow. body structure, speed. He can do a lot of different things. He's explosive, and he plays with the edge. And and one thing that you that you find with those Tourays is they're all, like, serious football people. People think when they come up for visits, because you see them ar around Rutgers so often, that they're hanging out, going out and doing stuff with the guys, and that's sort of their reason for being there. But those guys show up to watch film. They're serious about football. They're not into all the bells and whistles of the recruitment. Um, and I know he's the guy that potentially could come in and that they're looking to potentially help their offensive group catch some balls, stretch the field, uh, do some different things. Patrick, whoever, whoever plays wide receiver in this class doesn't yet know who's going to be calling plays for them next year. I, I, that's been a big topic of conversation around what is taking, what do you think is taking so long with the offensive coordinator search from your perspective? And do you think that matters to the, to these kids who are making this decision, especially in the portal? I mean, if you're, if you're transferring in from someplace else, do you need to know who's going to be that guy? I think they just really got to get it right. And I think they're taking the time to get it right. I know one thing that the staff is doing is reaching out to a bunch of guys and just sort of letting them know the style of offense that they're looking to run, you know, a wide open style with, with a dual threat quarterback that can do a lot of different things. I know for a long time, Greg Shiano always wanted to stick with that pro style offense, sort of as a uh, vehicle to get guys to the league, right? You want to be a pro, run a pro offense, but that's not necessarily the way football is played, not even at the pro level anymore, where you're seeing a lot of college concepts make their way to the NFL game. So uh, things have definitely definitely changed. Uh, I think Greg Shiano knows the importance of, of of making the right call, getting the right guy in there. Um, and you know it, it costs money, and it, and it's going to take some time. Uh, unfortunately, with with the recruiting calendar, um, it doesn't sync up in a way in which they could use that you know as an advantage, right? This is the guy we got in here. This is exactly what we'll be able to do. And sure, that could that can certainly hurt some things, but. I think they have an idea of the way that they want to play. And now it's just finding the exact guy to sort of lead that group. Todd, going back to the class, is there, uh, this is something that fans are always clamoring to know. Is there a guy that you think is a sleeper or a guy that you think could exceed his recruiting ranking that could kind of surprise people, uh, whether that's next year or at some point in their career? Oh, there, there are a lot of guys in this class. And I, cause I think it's like a, it's an all upside class, you know, a lot of developmental guys, which you're hoping on the back end you know, become, you know, multi-year starters in the Big Ten. I know one of the guys that um, those guys are really high on is Ja'Shawn Benjamin, um, the running back from Pahokee, Florida. He's only five foot nine, but he's a Big Ten back. 
Um, good burst, four five, forty yard dash speed. And he's a physical runner who wants to hurt you, right? He wants to finish off the run. And uh, I just think, you know, his physicality, his build, he creates a nice change of pace in that running back room, projecting it out down the line. Maybe he and Sam Brown could be a good one-two punch where it's coming at you every play, just physicality on top of physicality. Um, but he's certainly got a guy on the smaller side, but is really physical and could be a good addition to that room when it comes to running the football. Just a lot of guys on the tail end when you talk about upside, a guy like Moselle Williams, um, you know, just a really athletic offensive lineman, really light on his feet for such a big guy, you know, a developmental guy who isn't going to help him from day one. But if you can develop him, you know, you have a big athletic, you know, offensive tackle down the line. You know, Logan Blake, six seven tight end. You know, he showed up 198 pounds at Rutgers in June, and now he's 228 pounds, six seven, mm -hmm. soft hands. You know, uh, body control, his physical. I think one thing that Rutgers really is looking to get better at is scoring, right? Red zone scoring and having those big, tall, electric guys down there low, Fama, uh, Logan Blake, DeAndre Johnson, who I didn't mention, a 6'8", just tons of untapped potential. He's already got plus size, plus hands, ball skills, can do some different things. So these are guys that may not have had huge recruitments. Maybe they play at places you know, some of them that aren't heavily recruited. DeAndre Johnson, for that matter, I think is the first player to come out of his school and play power five balls. For whatever reason, a lot of these guys aren't highly ranked, but do have plus potential, do have big 10 type size and attributes that these guys just have to develop. All right, let's let's talk quarterbacks because I'm sure that that that's the position that concerns Rutgers fans the most. We talked last time we had you in the show. We talked about how hard it is to recruit a quarterback when you've got one. Clearly, these guys are committed to Gavin Wimsett, right? We've we've seen that. We saw what he did the, over the end of the year. It was all about developing him. They added a quarterback in this class, a uh, Johnny Shepard. Uh, again, it seems like a developmental guy. Do you think? Is he just a, a guy a guy they're adding to that room, and or do you think he can play? And along those lines, do you think they need to take someone uh, from the portal to to fill that room out? Well, I think he. I, I really, I really like the kid, and I do think he can play. I mean, I, I saw mm -hmm. him play Don Bosco, probably ten power five guys on that team, and I thought he was the best player on the field that day. Wow. I mean, those guys beat Bosco. You know, I I on yeah. prep that 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 shocked me. Um, and I know one thing that people like about this young man is, is his demeanor. I mean, he's just sort of like a natural leader, you know, physically, you know, he's a lot bigger than a lot of these coaches thought he was. I mean, he's a guy that finishes off the run, can also run the football, but, and, and I'm sure, I'm sure some things will change, right. When he reaches the college level, coaches don't necessarily want you finishing off the run. They want you getting out of bounds, getting down and sliding, but this is a big physical kid. I think the key trait that he has is he's just like really decisive. You know, he makes a decision and he's gone. Is he going to run? Either he's going to run the ball, he's going to throw the seam, he's going to get rid of that football, but he's going to make a decisive play. Um, and I think that's what a lot of coaches like about this young man. Ideally, he's a guy that'll be brought in to sort of, I think, play behind Gavin for a couple years, learn and develop, and then ultimately be the guy. Um, but at the same time, you know, push him. push, Use those tools to, to sort of bring out the best in Rutgers quarterback. Unfortunately, Johnny won't be on campus uh, until the summer, so he'll miss out on the spring and, and sort of miss that opportunity to do so. Do I think Rutgers needs to 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 find another quarterback in the portal? Of course. I mean, I I, I just think you know competition is what makes those guys better, you know, especially right. at the quarterback position. And there aren't there's some guys there, but there isn't a whole lot there to push to push the young man. And I know he's got a lot of great talent inside of him, you know, a lot of upside, you know, flash some different things. 
And I even watched him last spring, and he, and he made a couple plays uh, in that scrimmage prior uh, to, the, to the spring game that were just like wild plays, like just downfield balls on the run, you know, just some, some really spectacular football play. So he's definitely got some some tools, and now it's about bringing those tools out, which I think bringing an, an older guy who's experienced, you know, who can do some things sort of helps you do. One number from the recruiting class I'm curious about, uh, Steve pointed this out earlier, uh, I think 19 of the commits, only five of them are from Jersey. And I think they have a trio from New York and a lot from Florida. Uh, I know Greg has talked a lot about the state of Rutgers expanding into Florida and all these things. But uh, do you find that they're not recruiting Jersey as heavily because of, is that strategic? Is that a matter of kids from Jersey not wanting to come to Rutgers? I guess just, or is that just an anomaly that it just happened to work out this way in this class? And that's just kind of a year by year thing. Yeah, this is a year by year thing. And this just happened to be a down year. Like 2023 is probably the worst an ensemble of just and I'm just talking in totality of recruits from New Jersey and probably the last at least decade or so. Um, so there just there weren't really a ton of guys that Rutgers uh, went on or thought fit sort of what they needed to do. There were some other guys that I may have offered, like the, the two young men from Pensacan, uh, Johnny Shakur. And I know they ended up transferring to Winslow and, and Ali. And there were some other guys like Cole Skinner, who I liked. Or, or Joshua Richards from East Orange. But those are guys, you sort of put them in a, in a bind, right? Because what would you rather have at this point? A transfer portal guy who could come in with experience, fill those spots, or trust in, you know, a young high school player who's probably going to have to come in and develop um, when you're talking college football, which which is basically a what have you done for me lately league, right? right? What have you done for me lately? We have to win now. So you put these coaches in a position where – of course, they're going to take the older, you know, proven, experienced player. And a lot of these guys in the portal aren't necessarily proven, but at least you have something to sort of look back on. You got some practice film. You can talk to coaches. You can find out, you know, exactly how a player was within a system, how he operated within a room, you know, um, you know what his personality was like. Did he love to work? Did he love football? You know, so you have a lot more data to be able to evaluate a prospect once he's gone to a college and jumps in the portal. So that's why, you know, I honestly feel like they need to create a, a minimum number of high school players that these schools need to take because, I mean, if not, there isn't a whole lot of incentive to take them. Along those lines, obviously, every every uh, year it seems like it, it, it for a while it's been the high school uh, high school kid, high school recruit that everyone's obsessed with. Is he going to come? Is he going to come? Is he going to come? Now it seems like it's shifting to the portal guys who people are obsessed with. Uh, Bellamy and Gould, that was a topic of conversation for several weeks. Ended up going to Syracuse. I mean, do you have a sense of what happened there with 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 Rutgers and, and trying to get those guys on campus? Well, Rutgers didn't didn't recruit Gould the second time around. I know at the mm-hmm. end of his recruitment the first time around, um, they had sort of cooled on him. And, and this just comes down to fit. He's super physically talented. Um, he can do a lot of different things. Ultimately, he's somewhat of a tweener, right? And I don't know if Rutgers felt he was necessarily the best fit for their program. Bellamy, I know, is a guy that they recruited all the way through and sent a few coaches out to see him just about a couple weeks back. So there was certainly some interest in the beginning. I know there was some interest on the other side. For whatever reason, uh, the two sides just couldn't get together. Um, In the meantime, I know Bellamy took a visit with Gould's out to Syracuse and ultimately committed there and and sort of kept things kind of low, right? But if you're a portal guy, these guys keep things to the vest, right? So if he still goes up, ends up visiting Rutgers or any other school, I mean, it doesn't necessarily matter. Ultimately, it's about where they sign at. And I know that Rutgers, you know, was a school that, 
that Bellamy was looking to potentially visit. Um, unfortunately, it didn't happen. I mean, he didn't get up on a visit this past weekend. After going to Syracuse the prior weekend, you know, time ticked away. Ultimately, mm-hmm. he just ended up committing to Syracuse. And it'll be interesting to see what happens. All right, and 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 this is this is probably the biggest issue in college sports right now, Todrick. Uh, uh, the NIL name, image, and likeness. What it's how it's changing the sport. Uh, Fonseca had a good story today just on what's happening at Rutgers. The Knights of the Raritan are are, are launching their biggest fundraiser yet, hoping to raise a million dollars in in thirty days through a matching program. It sounds like NPR does. You know, you the, the match your one dollar for one dollar, and you get a tote bag. Is that true, Brian? You get a tote bag for this year? <laughs> My understanding is no. there is no tote bag, but you there's get a nice no tote pat bag. You nice yeah. pat in the back. But I mean, seriously, though, where do you sense that how important that is right now for recruits? I mean, is it the number one thing or are we overblowing it? I think it's a little bit overblown. I, I mean, I think I think the top tier guys may be getting some serious money. But for the most part, I mean, most of these guys, little local car dealerships or whoever it may be, are sort of using these guys to promote their businesses, things of that nature. A lot of modest sort of you know, situations, um, unless you're an elite, elite guy, you need elite guys to win football games, especially in the Big Ten, you know, so to start swaying those kind of guys, I think it was uh, Jason McCourty who said it best for the recruiting piece that we did on the, the, the Big Ten anniversary story. I mean, if you got a, a school offering you a stipend, you get a car, you get this and you get that. And another school, you know, pulls up at the table and doesn't have those things. Why am I listening to you? And and yeah. although all kids may not feel that way or think that way, there are a good number of them who do. So to get those super elite guys who unfortunately are going, to, well, I'm not even going to say unfortunately, because I do believe that these young men should be paid, right? Somebody's making the money, right? And they're creating the interest for the product, right? So I have absolutely no problem with them being paid. I have absolutely no problem with the portal, but at the same time, that doesn't mean that, you know, it doesn't make it super tough to, to to build a team, to sort of create this sort of atmosphere of team when you got guys that can sort of just enter free agency uh, whenever they want to. All right. This is this is a good uh, let's let's do this. Let's jump into some uh, Rutgers insider questions now uh, on the topic of recruiting. Then we'll come back to basketball and a few other things going on. But uh, I think it's just a good good transition to what a lot of the uh, what a lot of our texters have uh, some of the same concerns I mentioned up front. And this is one from Paul Jaffe from Oregon, one of our most loyal texters. Walk me off the ledge, please. Recruiting has gone backwards since Shiano came back. Portal has not gone particularly well. NIL lagging, and then we lose a legacy player to Syracuse. I need your help. <laughs> I mean, feel that one. I guess, I guess you know, if you look in big picture, this class certainly isn't good as the last class, but the last class was pretty good. I mean, is that how you look at it? Right, right. Well, I'll tell you what. I, I think Rutgers had a different philosophy, right, when, when Greg first came back. They offered a limited number of guys. Like, the value of that record offer, Rutgers offer had shot through the roof because they weren't offering everybody, right? It was to the point where I was about to do a story sort of comparing the number of players that they offered to some of these other schools that just basically throw offers at the wall and sees, sees what, what sticks. But the philosophy sort of had to change, right? The 2023 recruiting class with, with NIL is not necessarily the same thing, right? You don't know who's going to get the big money. Who's going to get those type of opportunities down the line? Um, so unfortunately, it changed the way uh, that, that they've had to recruit, and they are going through an adjustment period. I mean, sure, they'd love to have a bunch of big, sexy, you know, four stars on the list, you know. But I've been told time and time again that that's not necessarily a goal for the staff, who would prefer to have players that sort of fit the needs of their program. I mean, whether that's you know true or not, at the end of the day, it all works together, right? The whole the 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 public piece. 
um, you know, people seeing the excitement of big time players going to your school, which attracts other schools, attracts donors, attracts more money. It all works hand in hand. So obviously, you know, all coaches want the big time guys. Um, but at the same time, uh, I do, again, think that they, you know, address some addition, some areas of need. I think they have some young guys from last year's class that are sort of coming on, um, especially like along that offensive line. Kobe Asamoah started at the end of the year. Danette, you know, big interior guy already in the two deep. Taj White, Dante Chen also sort of started to come on towards the end of last year. Um, so at this stage, it's about, listen, they got the body types. They got the big, long, strong guys. It looks like a legitimate Big Ten roster. And now it just comes down to development. Um, you know, starting at the quarterback position, which, you know, Rutgers has struggled to develop um, just kind of historically, you know, and just spilling down throughout the entire program, develop these guys. And it'll be interesting to see where they're at in a year from now. All right. Uh, a couple more on the OC search. And, and Fonseca, you might have some information on this. You might not. Tony and Lawrence, who I met at the rack. Hey, thanks for saying hi, Tony. Coming out of the game, again, basketball game against Wake Forest, tapping on the shoulder. It's Tony from Lawrence. I'm like, yeah, I know. I know. Nice. Uh, great to meet you. Nice, right? He had two questions. Is it possible the OC search is in limbo because he's waiting on someone? I guess that could be someone coaching in a bowl game, someone in the NFL. Yeah. Brian, feel, is, is, it, is it possible that we're just that he just can't hire the guy he wants? That this there's no big there's no big delay here. It's just that's what's just going on behind the scenes. Anything is possible. Uh, is it probable? I would probably say no. Uh, I mean, you see programs around the country who have had their coaches leave. They've hired a new head coach, a new offensive coordinator, and a new staff in the time since Rutgers, since the season has ended. I think it's more likely, and I don't know this. I know you give me way too much credit for for, for knowing this. I, I don't, and I don't think many people do know this, but I would reckon it's more likely that either they have not hit their top targets or their top targets have had no interest or or something to that effect. I don't think they have this super secret candidate that's just lurking behind the shadows waiting to come in because I think that's just more of a the fan base trying to rationalize why it's taken, you know, it's been three months, three two months since Sean Gleason has been fired. Yeah. It's been three weeks since the season has been ended and people are just trying to understand why there's been nothing coming out. There's been no white smoke coming out of the Vatican. So I, I, I don't know. And I have to think that before the end of the year, they will hire someone. I would be very surprised if they didn't do that. Um, I would not be surprised if my uh, midnight gift from Santa on Christmas is an OC hire. But uh, <laughs> wouldn't that yeah. be great? That'd be perfect. Uh, Merry Christmas. Open yeah, your maybe. laptop. Experience the Heldridge Hotel, a luxury hotel that's perfect for both the business and leisure traveler. Ideally located within minutes of Rutgers University, the Heldridge is convenient to all the action and activities at SHI Stadium, Jersey Mike's Arena and the Rutgers University campus. The moment you walk through the doors of the Heldridge Hotel and Conference Center, you know you're someplace different. A place with an independent spirit and a boutique vibe. A place where you can immerse yourself in your meeting or event as easily as you can the local culture. Located in the heart of the city, the Heldridge lets you experience all that New Brunswick has to offer. Whether you're coming to New Brunswick for a fun weekend with friends, in town for a Scarlet Nights game, or attending a business meeting, book your accommodations today at theheldridge.com. I mean, listen, ideally, if they could have an OC in place, you know, right now heading into signing day, I mean, they would. I mean, there's no way that you wouldn't, right? You want to look solidified and show people how you're moving forward before they sign their national letter of intent. So I think if they could have 
you know, the guy that they want signed and announced by now, they certainly would. We got, we have to see what that means. I do know, again, that they know how they want to play, you know, what they want to do. And at the end of the day, it's just finding that person that's going to lead that group and do things in that manner. All right. This is a, this is a question along those lines from another texter. If they change offensive coordinators, it's likely or possible that the new guy will want to bring in his own staff. Are we going to see some more staff changes, you think? I mean, Todrick, you're, you're around these guys. Do you get the sense that there might be a shakeup uh, on the offensive staff beyond the OC? Uh, I mean, it's possible. But, I mean, Greg is 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 the guy. I mean, he makes all the decisions. I'd be surprised to see a guy come in here, you know, as an OC. But maybe that would be one of his demands, right? Whoever ends up, you know, being that chosen guy, maybe his demand would be, I have to be able to bring in all my, you know, all my own guys. And maybe Greg would be willing to do some things differently. But um, all I've known, you know, since I've been around on the beat covering recruiting is, you know, Greg makes every little decision. He runs the show. So it would be interesting to see that happen, and that would show you a certain level of desperation maybe that they would have to move the ball offensively because it's been a bit of a struggle. All right, uh, diving into a few more things. We talked about the NIL bunch. It's interesting that Geo Baker said in the tweet, uh, and this is, a, this is another comment, that NIL is the most important for student-athletes right now. At this one, maybe you can take this one, Brian. He wants to know if we agree with that, number one, and number two, does it change and parlay into the Shiano Hobbs agreement on a, on a new football only facility, which we haven't heard a lot about lately? Yeah, I think it's certainly true. I think players would rather have money in their pockets than play in some fancy new facility because, you know, aside from the aesthetics, you know, you could have a nicer looking weight room, some newer lockers and all these beautiful things, but you can't really take that to the store and buy anything with it. I think every hundred pound dumbbell weighs the same. Uh, they give you the same results. So, yes, I think that NIL is probably more important to players currently. Whether that affects the football palace plans, I don't know for certain, though I do think that it's clear because Greg Schiano is telling boosters they need money for NIL in the summer. He's endorsing the Knights of the Raritan million-dollar match fundraising deal. I think it's clear that – and I think he's kind of expressed this, I don't know, explicitly, but he's kind of hinted at that, that, that he does is aware of the importance of NIL – that it does seem like that's taken kind of the front seat in the recruitment plan as far as his idea of what is more important for recruits. So I do think that that is the reality, and I think that they're treating that as the reality. Patrick, you talk to these kids. Do they give a crap about the waterfall in the lobby and the you know, the massage chair and the, and the lounge and God knows what else they have at LSU or Georgia or wherever? Well, it depends. I mean, each kid is different. I know the one guy, uh, Devontae Walker, that they had up uh, last weekend, uh, 6'3", 185 pound uh, wide receiver transferred out of Kent State that they're hoping to get at some point down the line out the transfer portal. Uh, he was under recruited out of high school, so he never really got to take all of those big visits. Uh, ended up at NC Central and State, then at Kent State. So when he got to Rutgers, I mean, he was just, you know, shocked and amazed by the facilities and and all uh, tr the trip to New York and all the lights and, and being down in the city and said it was probably his best, uh, the best time he had ever had. Uh, just walking around he he's probably the outlier right the big time guys that get to see all the different places and take all the official and unofficial visits they're probably a little bit more uh just used to it all right. you know they did all the photo shoots and you don't see them trying on jerseys anymore they're sort of <laughs> beyond that part of it all and they kind of want to know about the actual football and what life will be here sort of moving forward if i chose to go to school here so i mean it's all important it all it's all meaningful um, and it's all things that you sort of have to pay attention to now as a as a college recruiter. 
Is he that we hadn't asked about the that, that kid? Is he coming from Kent State? Where's your crystal ball say with him? I actually haven't gotten to reconnect with him. I know he took an official visit to uh, UNC this past weekend, so today would actually be the day to follow up with him and see how that went. I know they've obviously got unreal facilities due in part to, you know, the big basketball brand and all the money that they pull in up there. So I'm sure it was impressive. I, it probably helped Rutgers get them up on a visit first, right? Because Rutgers sort of got to be that first school to sort of woo him and, and show him some different things. And I know New York City also played a big factor in his visit. Uh, they obviously don't have a New York City. Um, as of right now, or at least heading into the weekend visit, it was a two-team race seemingly between UNC and Rutgers. I know Penn State and Pitt were also trying to get him to come up for a visit. So that could certainly change some things down the line. But I will follow up with him and see exactly where he stands. But just talking to him uh, throughout the week, he seemed really high on Rutgers and seemed like a guy that they should be able to potentially lock up. Uh, this is interesting. Just, just this occurred to me. And I'm curious what you think about this, because it seems like now the portal guys, like they're not looking at, oh, there's 12 guys ahead of me in a class. Like I just noticed on Twitter today, Arizona's top receiver transferred to Southern Cal, which is like, I mean, how many receivers does Southern Cal have at this point? You know, it's just, so I wonder if that, if a kid like that looks at the situation and says, all right, if I go to Rutgers, I'm going to be their number one receiver. I mean, there's no question I'm going to step in. I'm going to be that guy. Or does that not matter? Is he looking in like, I want to go to a place that has five or six good receivers. I want to go to a place that has an established offense. I mean, that's, you know, which way do you think these guys go? Yeah, you, I mean, you sell what you have to sell as a program. And one of the, th the things that Rutgers has to sell is come and be a part of the reason, right? Penn State can't sell that. Ohio State can't sell that. Come be a part of us generating, you know, this football identity, this reputation for consistency. You can help build this and be a part of that. And I know that's been a part of the recruiting pitch, you know, uh, uh, for a long time. I mean, all of these great things have already been done at these other other schools and even if you're an all-american like you can be forgotten because there are just so many of them yeah, there. yeah. um so i think that's always something that ruckers i put it this way ruckers will be happy when they can no longer push that right because that means that you know you have that big 10 caliber roster you know you have that competition level where you're not just coming in here and, and, and able to get on the field and compete and i think they're actually getting to that point where you're seeing lesser and special teams you'll see a bunch of guys out there being able to run around and make plays I thought this past year was probably a little bit of a down special team this year outside of punting, right? We're talking kickoff on uh, that field goal unit. But a, a big reason for that is they had a lot of walk-ons on those units. You know, so now, you know, you bring in guys like Devon Fuse, Abram Wright, the big 6'2 and a half, you know, 220-pound linebacker from Florida, Bo Mascow. Ian Strong, guys who can fly down the field on special teams. You know, Jesse O'Fury, who's just really physically put together, looks like he's already been in a Big Ten program for two, three years when you look at his build. Now you can replace those walk-ons with guys like this who can fly down the field and make plays on special teams. And when you're in a competitive league like the Big Ten, every little thing matters. Every little thing counts. And that's a and, and that's also a big thing for the defense, having, you know, Corsac be able to manipulate field position and all of those things that he was able to do, you know, and now you lose that. You're just constantly working as a coach, tweaking, balancing things out, um, and just making it happen. 
All right, we, Brian, we have one basketball question from our readers that tells you where that tells you where the focus is right now. Uh, and it's about as deep into the weeds as you could go with a basketball question. That's great. It's a good question, though. Uh, are you surprised Jalen Miller not getting more minutes? I thought he was important last year as a defensive specialist and expected to see him more this year. Uh, other players are doing the job and he's not needed a larger. Also heard not heard a lot about uh, Chol in the preseason. Thought we'd see more of him. What about those two guys? We really are going deep into the weeds. They, deep they in the get, woods. Why not go right down a, to them? They get a big win and all their guys are contributing. And all of a sudden people look down to the 12th man on the bench and wonder, Hey, why is he not playing? This fan base surprises me all the time. Uh, Jalen Miller is not playing because everyone ahead of him is playing better than him. Yeah. Rutgers has the third best defense in the country per Ken Palm. And uh, Jalen Miller's specialty is defense. It doesn't seem like they need him. And offensively, frankly, when he's out there, a lot of times they're playing four on five. Uh, so he doesn't really have anything to offer. It's obvious that Rutgers likes him. His teammates like him. His coaches like him. He came in at the end of the Wake Forest game on Saturday when they're up 20 points. He got a nice up and under layup and the bench was screaming and excited as though he hit the game winning shot. So he's obviously a big part of the team that people like. He just has not carved out a role in the rotation. And given that Steve Michael typically tightens the rotation as conference mm -hmm. play approaches, I don't particularly see him playing outside of a specialist defensive role if you know, Caleb McConnell or Moat Mag get in foul trouble. And uh, Antonio Chole, you know, he's a he's a freshman. He's a true freshman who enrolled early after reclassifying up a year. Uh, he's just not ready to contribute yet. Um, I think we've kind of learned that Steve Peichel likes to laud his players in the preseason, and uh, <laughs> we should always take those things with a grain of salt because, uh, he, I mean, it's possible he was shooting 60% on threes. I don't think so because if he was, he'd probably be playing. Antonio Chole could be a key piece down the line. Uh, he's not, and I think that's a good thing because if this was, and we shouldn't be comparing Rutgers now to the past era because it's been seven years, but Antonio Cho was a kid that under Eddie Jordan would be playing right now, which would be yeah. in bad signs. 30 minutes a game. Yep. It's great yeah. that he's not playing. Yeah. It's a great sign. Uh, but I guess uh, I'd like to take a second to actually talk about the game they just played. Yeah, of course, yeah. Well, a huge win. I mean, you had that game they had to win against Wake Forest. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, yeah. it was, and, and they killed them. Yeah. yeah, you were there. You saw it. Uh, they bounced back from that awful week. They had a week to kind of get off, and they listen. Wake Forest is not a great ACC team. Well, they won at they won. Let's be fair. They did win at Wisconsin, so there is some. They were a, a good team. They have a so, player in a Johnny in not a Johnny Shepard, not not the Rutgers quarterback commit. They have a player in um, I can't remember his name now. Their 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 star point guard. Steve Peichel, I was talking to him the day before the game and was just praising the kid as this game-changing player, which you saw him do at Wisconsin, and Caleb McConnell completely locked him up. Granted, he was coming off a pretty nasty ankle injury, and it's hard to tell how much yeah. that impacted him, but still, locked him up, and uh, from there, Wake Forest really couldn't create anything. Rutgers' defense is legit, as we've seen throughout the season. We saw it against Saturday, and the offense against a team that, frankly, again, does not play great defense, a team that does not have much of an interior presence. Rutgers dominated them at the rim. Rutgers finally finished their layups. Rutgers scored 81 points. Yep, it's a, it's a good win. And now they have two tomato cans that they should beat pretty easily before going to Mackey Arena and playing number one Purdue. So could they have been better in non-conference? Probably. They probably should have one more win. The Ohio State win obviously should have been a win in the truest sense of the word, but it wasn't. Uh, but I think that all things considered, I think they're in a good spot entering uh, re-entering Big Ten play. Yeah, I mean that, that was a balanced a, a balanced effort from the team. I, mean, I think you know you, you're wondering if you're wondering how this team's going to respond to losing uh, Geo Baker. You're seeing it now, just with everyone contributing in that one. I mean, Cam Spencer was 
awesome, I mean, efficient as you can be, five for five, three for three from uh, free throw, three, two for two, uh, behind three. I just love the way Caleb McConnell, he, he plays it. He's, he's he's becoming the leader of this team, him and Paul Mulcahy, no question. Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think they're in a better place. And after getting robbed the way they got robbed, and we talked about it, there's no question that that lingered in the Seton Hall game. I think you can make, you can now say with some degree of certainty that that blown call cost them two games. I think so. And I think that's a fair statement. They were not... They just weren't right mentally in that game. It was just a completely different team. The, the team we saw against Indiana was the team we saw against Wake Forest. What happened in between? Well, it, it, yeah, I think we know the reason for that. You watch any of the hoops, Todrick? You, you you've been you've been uh, you've been tuning in a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I do t- tune in here and there, and I'm just I'm just you know excited that people care. You know, they got yeah. a sport that that people care about. I mean, people care about it from game to game. The excitement, you know, the tight battles, you know, the celebrations. It's just been, you know, and and also, I mean, even the hero ball, which I love. You know, the big shots. The end. I mean. And those guys defend, I think they've taken on Pico's personality. You know, it's fun to watch consistently. And I don't think we could say we were always in that place. No, no, of course not. Yeah. And that's, uh, and that's good. The program's in a good place. So Brian, do you think, I mean, looking at the big 10, where they are now, uh, do you have a higher opinion of the big 10 or a lower opinion of the big 10 now that we're approaching the actual meat of the conference play? I mean, I'm amazed by the standings. There's nobody, I mean, Wisconsin's 2-0, Purdue, obviously the best team, but beyond that, I don't, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't, if you gave me 20 guesses to come up with the order, one to 14, I would not get it right. I'm surprised at how good the majority of the league is, but only because I fell into the same trap that everyone fell into this offseason, like we fall into every offseason, that the Big Ten is not as good as it, as it was because it lost a lot of talent and there's a lot of uncertainty, yada, yada. The Big Ten is full of great coaches and great programs that always seem to figure things out year to year. I think Rutgers has become one of those great programs that is learning how to cope with the loss of a program great. Purdue is, like you said, the best team in the league, bar none. They have the best player in the country in Zach Eady. The guy is a monster. He's unstoppable. And he doesn't get tired, which is insane for a seven foot four kid. But outside of that, uh, there's a lot of, yeah, like you said, there's a lot of uh, question marks. Illinois has a ton of talent, but they seem to have a ton of internal turmoil as well. Uh, Maryland has come down to earth. Kevin Willard's strong start has hit its usual January swoon early. Ohio State is good, but they're very inconsistent. Uh, yeah, it, it's going to be a fun. It really should be a fun league. It should be a league that Rutgers should be at the top of right now, standing at two and zero. The standings are a bit tough to figure out just because they've only played two games. Um, and I should mention, Penn State is the most fun team in the country. They're going to be. They're so much fun to watch. They just bomb threes. It's awesome. Uh, they have maybe the best point guard in the in the league in Jalen Pickett. But yeah, I, I'm excited to watch. Big Ten basketball on a regular, you know, week by week basis. And I think it's relatively wide open, not for the title race, because I think Purdue is a clear favorite. But like you said, two to maybe nine, that entire, I wouldn't be surprised if any team finishes anywhere in that order. Yeah, it is amazing looking at the net rankings. I mean, gosh, Indiana 23, Ohio State 26, Illinois 29, 28. It's just Iowa 30. I mean, just Maryland thirty-five. I mean, it just clear, the number of teams that are grouped right in there. It's gonna be fun, and that's that's all you can ask for. And I think that this team has showed me enough in non-conference to that I've I'm I'm pretty confident. It's still confident as an NCAA tournament team. And but I would I would encourage them to staple that statement from. And by the way, we have to give you the credit for this. You called it Friday news dump from the Big Ten on that. And it's been a little while since they issued that statement at 7 p.m. Friday. You said it was going to happen. It was the ultimate Friday news dump. And it, that's what happened. Congratulations. Another 730. prediction correct. Seventh. I didn't think it would be that late. That was an insane 
I mean, at, at that point, you might as well yeah. not even just drop a statement. I mean, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. We were halftime of the 7 o'clock games. But, uh, yeah. Just tuck it away under the bed. That's all. That's exactly what happened. Yeah, that's great. You got to love You got to love while the conference. While everybody's sleeping. It was Michigan. If it was Michigan, it would have been noon on Monday. Anyway, I can't. Yeah. Uh, all right. What else we got? We know we got a wrestling. Pat uh, Lanny will be back next week as the wrestling team is taking a little hiatus here. What else we got? Anything else going on? No? Women's hoops won against New Orleans over the weekend in a nice little uh, okay. uh, game pre- preparation before the Big Ten. Um, so they got their teeth kicked in by Princeton. Is that a bad sign? Yeah, well, they had a great first half. They were up 10, I think, at halftime, and then they just completely melted down because they have eight yeah. players and no depth, and they got gassed and couldn't hit shots. Mm-hmm. And um, right. uh, mm-hmm. is it a bad sign? I don't think anything is really a bad sign for this team this year. Any win they can get is a bonus and uh, right. kind of just filling out the calendar and hoping to survive between now and uh, now and March. Yikes. Yikes. Survival. That's all we're trying to do between now and March. Let's face it. Uh, all right, Todrick, <laughs> what, what what do you got on tap this week for, for Sonic? Any Any big pieces coming up you can tease? Uh, usual good coverage and, and any any surprises something that might happen that would you know that that could come out of the kind of nowhere. Well, they had a big uh, four star offensive lineman, Shimi Onudu, uh, up this past weekend. He was uh, committed to uh, Old Dominion and uh, decommitted before the official visit. Could potentially decide uh, in February, right? So being a four star, he just got bumped up. You know, a bunch of teams hopped in, have offered recently. I know Ole Miss is one of them. Um, but I mean, if he doesn't decide until February, he'll have another 20 offers by then, uh, and it'll be a different situation. But uh, if 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 he could potentially side, decide on signing day, I mean, he's a guy that Rutgers being the last team that he visited, you know, coming off the final official visit weekend before the dead period, that they hope to potentially add, you know, at least from the high schoolers, uh, the transfer portal again, different timeline. Um, these guys, you know, it's, it's basically you know to a person as far as when they actually sign and pick a school and, and things of that nature. And again, they hold things close to vest and understand sort of how the process works, you know, being older, more mature guys, so they can crack at any time. Um, but I wouldn't put any signing day expectations on any of those guys. Um, I think the goal right now is really to uh, keep the guys in the fold uh, that you have in the fold, right? Because you got different schools, obviously, trying to poach, you know, different players simply because it's, it's the time of year uh, to do so. At the end of the day, for these college coaches right now that have been recruiting these kids all year long, they want to get their signatures in. Uh, they want to be able to sort of put a bow on the recruitment of some of these guys. They'll see whatever happens. You know, sometimes there's movement on signing day. Sometimes kids get dropped, and, and they're always looking to obviously see what opens up, uh, always keeping an eye on the portal. But I think things are pretty much situated like they're going to be. I wouldn't expect a whole lot of movement on signing day. I feel sorry for that old Dominion coach. He loses his quarterback. Now he loses oh, a four-star tackle. Right. I mean, this is a hard business. And, and, and he's a quarterback risker. He's a quarterback yeah, risker. Quarterback so it risker. says a lot for Johnny to actually, you know, flip to Rutgers, um, which is closer to home and obviously in a better conference. You know, I think there was just a – Rutgers had two high school guys that they wanted to go on at the end, right? Him and Grosser, they got a Johnny who's got some great tools. can hopefully come in and, and push some of these guys. <laughs> All right. On that note, let's sign off. Todrick, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. It's always great to have you. Information you can't get anyplace else. Fonseca, have a good holiday. Lanny will be back uh, when we come back from the other side of it. We'll talk some hoops. We'll talk some wrestling. We'll recap signing day and whatever else is going on. So uh, we'll see you soon. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, guys. Thank you for listening to the Rutgers Rant. To participate in the conversation and receive live updates about the Scarlet Knights directly to your phone. 
Sign up at nj.com slash insider.